0: Welcome, friends, to another episode of On Death, a podcast where we explore the oftentimes taboo topics of death, dying, and grief. We offer people a place to gather and listen to others around their experience with death and dying. We aim to encourage and support a healthy relationship with death and to move from a fear-based culture of death to a community focused on living life more fully alive and fully in love. And today, like always, I'm joined with my beautiful co-host, Tom. Tom, do you want to introduce our guest for today, please?
1: Yes, would love to. Uh, Today, we've got somebody on the show who we have crossed paths many times. I even photographed him once. Uh, I think it's about four four or five years ago now. And uh, without realizing that, that later on, we would cross paths again, not realizing that we had done that before. His name is Ethan Lipsitz, and he is uh, he started a movement called the Love Extremist Project. And he did this back in 2015 with this simple symbol of a heart, the word extremist inside of it. And it, since then, it has blossomed into a platform for media products experiences and projects that inspire new definitions and action-oriented things around love. And he was diagnosed with brain cancer in 2017. At that time, he started a new mission, which was to use creative expression in all forms to inspire love for his personal healing and his community and the world. He spends most of his time hosting salons, facilitating workshops, supporting leaders, making art, producing a podcast and a video series, and writing all about healing and creating music. So without further ado, here's Ethan to tell us all about his beautiful journey. Welcome. Hello,
0: hello, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being here. here, Ethan. Really appreciate your time.
2: Grateful to be here. Yeah, I appreciate the outreach and love what this podcast is all about. It's very much in my wheelhouse.
0: It sounds like it, you know, we had to, um, when we reached out to you, you were just about to go with um, launching your Camp Death, right?
2: Correct. Yes. Camp Death just finished last week. Um, Then it was a two week program of a group of brave souls kind of going in on a journey of confronting mortality as a path to live more deeply. And so we spent two weeks going through daily practices that were all pathways we can choose to just confront our our death and and work through it and consider it in different realms it was really powerful
0: yeah i'm sure there's tons of like, tons of awesome content that came out of there i i have like a vision i don't know if this will happen soon but i i see people with like little ringers on from the 70s and like the the velvet cut out of like camp death class of you're shaking your head do you please tell me you have well, this yeah
2: one. i mean that's that's a that's a vibe and makes a lot of sense a la like traditional camp we did do camp swag um the logo i designed was like a sailboat that said camp death on it and then on the back was the motto um it's not a means to an end it's just the end <laughs> <laughs> um surrounded by a heart and so that was the first edition of the camp swag but everything's iterative and so we'll keep going and there's a lot of opportunity to make some pretty cool stuff for sure
0: cool uh, it's fun and j- just to have um the word death on a on a t-shirt in a way where it's not being like um like a death metal band or something where where it's a little bit like crusty and like edgy in a way where you're like yeah well this is about death but it's actually about about death where you're 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 bringing these conversations into people's lives to it sounds like and have them live their life in a real um, expressive artistic and loving way am i right
2: absolutely and it's funny i realized that i use this kind of play on language in a couple different contexts creating the love extremist project was all about putting two words together that don't don't normally go together And to me, that creates a different relationship to the word love. When we call ourselves a love extremist, we're actually thinking about love in terms that are both actionable and sometimes maybe pretty intense. And um, I believe it's time for extremism in the context of love around camp. Death, similar approach is more like, you know, we think of camp as this fun, joyful kind of celebratory experience and death is. Not necessarily the most campy thing, um but I do believe that we have an opportunity to um to learn through death and to engage with it in new ways and this camp provided that outlet and the other thing I realized was ha- having gone to a lot of summer camps throughout my life the the process of moving through camp and then coming out the other side, you're transformed after camp like it's like you just came through and you're like, "Oh my gosh, life will never be the same you know this was incredible and then you go back to no, quote unquote normal life. And I wanted to have that kind of experience with camp. So yeah, again, that all came through in the program. Nice. Yeah.
1: It's like, you're taking back. Cause like when I originally, if I think of camp death in the context of, of the, both those words individually and then put together, I just think of Jason Voorhees immediately, like Friday the 13th, and all of that. But now you're bringing, you're taking it back and you're bringing people in to do some work and like come out with a yay on the other side. So I like that. That's awesome. I mean, just to, and did you kind of, did you get that sort of enthusiasm that you were hoping for out of the program?
2: Yeah, it's, it's been really amazing to engage with the participants in the campers and to learn kind of everyone's in an individual relationship with mortality. They all have different stories and proximation to death, whether it be their own or others around them. But I found that the program was really informative just to see there's no wrong answer. Um, We all go through this in different ways. We all experience life and death in different ways. We all have different catalysts for what enlivens us or what brings us to grief. And recognizing that spectrum was really helpful in being able to come up with practices and programs where you know, there's something for everyone. Some people really make a death meditation, their deal. And they're like, I'm going to do this for the next hundred days. And this is going to inform my life. And for others, it's more of a journaling prompt or a gratitude exercise or something like that.
0: Yeah. Meeting people where they are, meeting people with death, where they are, or the relationship with death, where they are, are, are you planning? <laughs> this is like a selfish question because I never really went to any camp. The only camp I ever did, I might've been in like third grade and it was in Linhurst, New Jersey. And it was, it wasn't like a sleepaway camp. It was like you get dropped off there for a few hours. And the only thing I remember doing is playing bloody knuckles. Like I had no transformative experience. You know, I just went home with like my knuckles all kind of fucked up. Um, do, is there a, a vision to to do a, a an actual physical camp death and when when we can meet again?
2: There There isn't yet, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Um, it's interesting. this This idea came to us, I should say, pretty quickly. I had a scan recently. I get a scan of my brain every six months, and I had a scan that came through that was potentially sketchy. Um, we weren't sure if the tumor was growing. And I say we, me and my partner were kind of facing this challenging scan. And we had four weeks until they were going to do another scan to check and make sure, is there a tumor growing or is it just a false alarm? The good news is it turned out it was a false alarm. And my partner and I celebrated when we got that news. But those four weeks were kind of a revisitation of my mortality and the fact that I'm living with this disease of brain cancer that doesn't really leave. It's a managed thing, but it's a terminal diagnosis. And so recognizing that that's part of my existence and kind of regrouping with it past the acute phase, which was the first three, four years of living with this thing, um, was really intense. And so we kind of, in our celebration, my partner Michelle was like, You should do Camp Death. Like, this would be so interesting and teach all the things you've learned. And initially she said, Death Camp. And I was like, No, we can't do that. But maybe <laughs> Camp Death we could do. Um, And I still have gotten some plaque for the name, so it may change. Um, But I do think that there's uh, an interesting kind of epiphany that took place. I rushed into getting the program going like really quickly, basically took three days, made a landing page, like was ready to blast it, made a whole video. And my partner, Michelle, came back and was like, what are you doing? Like, have you even processed what just happened? Like, whoa, pump your brakes. I'm like, yeah. And I kind of broke down at that point and realized like it was a pretty intense moment. And I had been holding it together for myself and for others and really needed some time to like, just let it go and cry and process and understand what I just been through. And then start to think about developing something really meaningful and spend some time promoting it and getting, you know, the curriculum dialed and all that stuff. So I was really happy that I waited, but yeah, the the process of it happening came pretty quickly and. Yeah, it went live a month after we basically had the idea.
0: Ethan, can 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 we go back to 2017 for a moment? Yeah. Um, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about what the the initial prompt to go, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know any of the story, whether it was you went to a doctor or a neurologist, and um, I, I would love to hear a little bit about that.
2: Sure. Yeah. Well, for about a year before then, I noticed I was losing mobility in my right leg. Um, My right foot was kind of numb and I couldn't move my toes like I could my left foot. And I was frustrated and it was annoying and I was having a hard time like doing certain activities. I was a skateboarder and noticed that starting to get sketchy. I could still like do most stuff, but my foot was just irritating me. And I asked friends, is this something to worry about? Like, do you have this problem? And a lot of them said, Yeah, don't worry about it. Just get some yoga toes and spread them out. And you know, you'll be fine. And I tried that and it wasn't really getting better. And then I scheduled an appointment with a podiatrist because I thought I had this foot problem. And uh two weeks before that appointment, I got really sick. I had a fever all day. And I went home from work early and basically got into bed. I was tossing and turning in bed. Um, and finally fell asleep, you know, oscillating between fever, hot flashes, cold flashes, finally fall asleep. And in the middle of the night, I'm awakened by my right leg lifting over me. And I thought it was a muscle spasm where I was just kind of, you know, the tenses up and you lose control, but it started kind of rising and spasming. And then that feeling started to like, basically numb out my whole right side. And I, I, I started to feel it kind of capture my body. And then quickly my left side fell to this numbness. And as it fell, my body started arching. My back started arching really, really like dramatically to the point where I thought I was going to break my back and I willed myself to fall off the bed. And my partner at the time who was sleeping in the other room, heard me fall off the bed. I don't remember falling off the bed. I went unconscious at that point. She found me in the room on the floor and um, EMTs came. They wanted to take me to the hospital then and there, but I couldn't move. I was super dizzy and nauseous. Turned out next morning, you know, we kind of made it through the night, Next, broke the fever. The next morning, woke up, got to urgent care, basically realized I had a seizure that night. Urgent care, when you have a seizure, they rush you to the front of the line, you don't have to wait, <laughs> and they throw you in a CAT scan, and uh, we found that I had a little egg-sized tumor in my brain, And the news came in a kind of weird way, but um, the doctor at the the urgent care was like, it's just like a piece of flan. They'll just scoop it out. You know, they'll open your brain up. You'll probably be awake. It'll be really cool. And they'll scoop it out of your head. And I'm just kind of thinking like, what's going on? Like, I'm going to be awake. You're going to open my head. Like what's like, she didn't use the C word. And I didn't really hear cancer at all until the ambulance came to drive me from the urgent care to the emergency room. And he's like, so you got cancer, huh? And I'm like, what? And so I'm kind of getting thrown all this crazy news and just trying to stay calm. The next few days, I was in the hospital kind of dealing with doctors. I was on seizure watch. So they gave me some seizure medication. They gave me some steroids. And uh, we decided to go into surgery two weeks later, ended up coming back to Boston for surgery. And the crazy thing about surgery and this whole process was surgery. I just learned this from an anesthesiologist. It's a controlled trauma. And so while some of us may experience traumas that are not controlled, most of us, um, the controlled trauma is actually like being manipulated by an anesthesiologist and a surgeon and all these other people who are kind of doing it. But the night before, I was very much in this kind of spiritual headspace and I was saying some prayers and I I actually had some visions of people coming to my bedside. And throughout that experience, there was very much this really interesting kind of feeling of like, all right, I'm going to be proximate to death. My brain's going to be opened up to the air. My my skull is going to be cracked open. It turned out I was asleep for the surgery, which I was grateful for. But they were running electricity from my head to my feet. Um, I was, you know, being pumped through um, the the drugs to keep me under. And then after that, um, I had staples in my head, you know, and I was kind of recovering with this crazy scar across my skull, which you can still kind of see parts of, you know, the hair doesn't grow back because I got radiated and chemotherapized after that. Um, but yeah, this was 2017, two weeks later, I got a diagnosis grade three brain cancer um, that came out of the biopsy. The surgery took out 20% of the tumor. So radiation and chemotherapy took out a bunch more, but a lot of my lifestyle changes like diet and therapy and shifting my profession and reorienting my life completely around healing, I think has made a huge contribution to my well-being through this point. But, um, 2017 was pretty major. Also, 10 years before that, 2007, I got hit in the head with a Jack Daniels bottle in exactly the place where my tumor occurred. And so that experience of being mugged and taking that hit, then kind of having this delicate spot of my brain where a tumor shows up, I don't think it's a coincidence. And there's a lot of research that shows brain trauma is long lasting and can affect us in some pretty wild ways. And so um, I'm processing all of that as well. So The journey began long before the seizure, actually.
0: Hmm. When, when 2017 happens, you fall down, have this seizure. You're in the ER or the urgent care. They take you to the hospital. Like what, what's, cause my, I'm going to make like a, 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 an assumption have you done like any sort of death work up until then yeah okay so Uh, so so you've had a little bit of like tools in your belt a little bit
2: yeah and i have done a lot of I would say like spiritual work in different contexts um Mm -hmm. so I think at that point I was comfortable if death was what was happening um I didn't wanna die Mm -hmm. and I was a little scared, but I also felt like, oh man, I've lived an incredible life and I have nothing but gratitude. And if this is it, this is it. And this is what's gonna happen. And I don't think this is it and I don't really want it to be it. And I do feel like I have some sovereignty in this. And now that certain things are becoming illuminated, especially around mortality and like the sensitivity of my body, and the reality of this diagnosis and disease, I felt like hmm, I'm. Uh, this isn't going to be the worst news. Like, it could be. It's going to be bad, maybe. Um, I wasn't sure about whether cancer was a real thing until I got that official diagnosis. But I, I knew. I, I was hoping it wouldn't be that. But I also kind of felt like I'm going to live a long life. Um, I still am in that mentality of I'm going to live a long, healthy life, and I'm working with death every day and I'm, I'm, I'm working to remain in that sense of gratitude and awareness so that I can, if it, if tomorrow's the end, you know, I uh, I'm, I'm okay with that and I'm comfortable with it and I'm grateful.
0: And for people, Ethan, who are just listening, um, 2017, can you share how old you were?
2: I was 33.
0: So so the 30, so just so people understand 33 years old, um, you get this um, serious diagnosis, and you have a moment of, of like, f- fuck yeah, kind of moment, you know, like of 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 like the celebration of life, and and I think a little bit of like you know since we've been talking for just a handful of minutes now, it, it seems like you had had some practice, some contemplation, and had a sense of like your mortality in a way. So when that, whenever that time does come, there is like a, a, like a fuck yeah moment. And it seems like even now, like you're, the work you're doing with camp death is that like, when, when we get the diagnosis, however old we may be 33, 99 that there is like this sense of, wow, that was a pretty full life. Like that was pretty incredible.
2: Yeah, there is. And I also should say, like, I was not married. I was not a father. um, And, you know, my responsibilities were such that I could let go of a lot of things to focus on healing. So as I now am engaged and consider having a family and other contexts of, you know, adding responsibilities to my life and loved ones and, and, you know, on tax forms, dependence, but I would say more so just, you know, uh, expanding my, um, my, my, my impact and the people that I love and that I, that I think about that I am getting to know there's a lot more life I'd like to live. And I think while that fuck yeah could still exist, I think there's also, um, a a desire to remain resilient and to remain in this body as long as I can. And I think there's something about acceptance and readiness that uh, I I oscillate between, you know, I want to be in acceptance. I think that's a really important element of life, but I also want to push a little hard and put some effort in to stick around. And I think that dynamic is, um, it's not one or the other, but it's kind of keeping both of those present.
0: Yeah, when you say, um, I know Tom wants to jump in there, I just want to comment when you say acceptance, you know, like the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and the the stages of dying. um, Like you said, say again, Ethan?
2: I think it's stages of grief. Is that what, what you meant?
0: there there's um yeah that's the oh i said david kessler i said david kessler elizabeth kubel ross like the stages of grief and stages of dying they're the same they just adapted them and like you said that we oscillate between them right like so there is acceptance but then there's you know back to bargaining like i want i want more time you know like i i'm i'm thinking of a family like i want to get married i want to have kids like i want i want to i want to be here i want to be here Mm -hmm. um so Tom, I know you, you were about to perk up and say something. I cut you off. You're muted, pal. <laughs> Tom has peacocks in the background that get yes. wild
1: sometimes. Peacocks, parrots. It's a jungle. Love that. Uh, so yeah. Um, I, yeah, I wanted to thank you for bringing it back to what's important, which is uh dependence on your tax forms. So that's really, that's good. <laughs> just to keep that in mind. Um, and the, no, there are these like there are these layers of I, I was thinking about exactly this as you were describing your experience of, of like, well, it's been great, you know, and, and I've, I've mentioned on the podcast before that I had a moment where I was staring at what I thought would be instantaneous death. It was a car accident. and I don't have to get into the story again, but um, I remember having a similar sentiment of, of wow, wow, it's been really fun. You know, if this is it, OK, take me. And, and I thought, as you were describing it, it's funny because we're about the same age. I just turned 40 and now also being engaged and also thinking of bringing another life into the world. Uh, it's, it's interesting how, you know, I would look at a 20 year old and think like their view of death is so flippant, you know, and, and I'll speak even to myself at 20 and how reckless I felt at that time. Um, And now to think even just a few years ago for me to sort of just be like, well, if it ends, it ends, you know, that almost feels flippant to me um, when I consider having a partner, a life partner and a child. Um, And I'm wondering now, you know, as I get older and these complexities start piling on, is it actually harder to let go?
2: Yeah. I I mean, I think there's multiple ways of looking at that. I mean, some would argue I had created a lot of complexity. I ran my own business. I had like 20 employees. I don't know. I bought a house, you know, like a lot of these more material things I'd say. Um, but yeah, I think when it comes to like what matters at the end of our life, usually it's really oriented around love. Um, and yeah, our accumulation of loves and not only accumulation, but commitment to those loves and sense of responsibility around them is a little different when we take, be, get in partnership and especially lifelong partnership. And we also, you know, are become parents. Right. And so certainly um, that could happen with a, an animal, you know, if we have a dog or a cat or a pet or a peacock or whatever, but I think, uh, there's, there's definitely a consideration there that shifts the dynamic and, and, I think it only adds to the gratitude and also adds to the delicacy, which I think is a really important element here. Like looking at life as a delicacy and also the body is a delicate thing. Um, The body is a delicacy, right? Like having these instruments to create with, to engage with, uh, to meditate with. And so it's almost like there's that depth of responsibility and opportunity. Yeah. There's more to lose, but there's also so much more to gain. And there's, I don't know, more as a relative term, but I think there's like we need these confluences. We need these kind of pulls and pushing ourselves into new levels of responsibility and dependency and opportunity and love, of course, is going to make grief and death that much harder. But grief doesn't exist without love. Like we're not grief, we don't grieve things that we didn't love or care for. And so it's kind of a necessary part of the whole system.
0: Yeah, one of the things I hear you saying there is <clears throat> even, even as death looms over all of us, to engage in life as robustly as we can and with as much love as we can, not to step <clears throat> away from life and, and go into, you know, a mode of hiding because death looms. It's no, let's go into our life like full on. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You got to live and you got to love harder when death comes a knock. And I think, because that, that's your, that's your little note. And for me, I started love extremist in 2015, but like it didn't fully hit in my body and I didn't know how to love myself. And in 2017, I mean, I'm still working on self-love, but I was forced to love myself. I was like, okay, you're going to figure out what self-love looks like in practice so that you can heal, so that you can live a longer life. And um, yeah, I think it's that, that's a core component of this. Like death comes a knock and then we start, we have a, we, uh, there's choices actually, I should say. There's a lot of people who um, get that knock and kind of surrender and maybe get into a level of acceptance or, um, step back from like living full on. And in some ways my foot still has disability and I get really frustrated by weakness in my body. And that keeps me a little bit step back and reserved. Um, professionally, I still haven't gotten into a full-time role. So, you know, that's another thing I've kind of stepped back a little bit on the professional side, although I'm doing everything all the time, but Um, That is kind of a traditional career thing that I think about. And I do think like there are elements of us stepping back all the time, but the call to step in and to live more deeply and fully um, is a choice that we can make. And the whole point of this camp I just did is to make that choice every day and help people do that and use death as the mirror to do it. Um, and I think oftentimes, like I was saying, people can choose the opposite or choose something in between where they're kind of not quite comfortable coming back to full life. And that's a choice. Some And sometimes it's not a choice. Sometimes we're disabled and we, we're not able to come back. And that's legit. And we need to honor that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm noticing this trend of yours where it seems like I don't know if I can exactly connect the thread, but I'm noticing that you, you sort of have this like this love extremist thing came up. And then. I don't know, By based on your description right now, I don't know if you you started yourself love exploration before or after that, but there was this sort of like it, it's almost like by putting love extremists into the world, it kind of forced you or or pushed you to explore your own self-love in a deeper way in the same ways that you're doing with camp death and it was just moments after you or or shortly after you got that that little scare that you created camp death to it seems like to help you even explore what that means so i i love that you can and i think that's actually kind of what we're doing in this podcast too with matthew and i it's like well you know we we know that we don't have all of the answers because there are infinite answers. So this topic is passionate to us and we're creating, we're going to go out there and create just like you're doing, you're creating this community to sort of help you wrap your head around what it is that's going on for you. I I think that's a beautiful way to engage
2: with the world. Thank you. Yeah. Trying to always be a beginner and a, a student. And also I think curiosity is one of the core components of being a loving human and when we're curious about things and we can share that curiosity with others and engage, we build understanding, right? We build connection, we build compassion and unity. And so I think, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, and I think, yeah, learning by doing is the only way I, I know how to do it. <laughs> and what a great thing that is to
1: foster sort of, it, it, it kind of takes the gatekeepers out of, out of the, the, uh, the wisdom of of humanity. Uh, it's no longer that we have to rely on a specific person to teach us everything we need to know. We're redefining this as we go together.
2: Yeah, and I don't prescribe definitions on anyone else. I mm-hmm. can only share my story. You know, in our community, we speak from the eye. Mm-hmm. and I think that's really important that we don't necessarily speak for others unless we're given permission to but you know I think it's we share our, our own vulnerable stories and that's how we connect and and learn and and understand each other more deeply
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're making me think um about <clears throat> it be just being we only get one death right so that we know of um so be as empowered in your death as you can when you have it and if someone wants to make what someone else may think of as like bad choices but it it's not their choice to make it's our choice to make it's your choice to make it's your choice to make Um, i'm a little curious about what what um what was the initial sort of self-love practices like Back, you know, three and a half or so years ago.
2: Yeah. Well, there was a couple, um, and there were a lot that I share. Um, but I'd say the core there there was kind of the intellectual and then there's the embodied. And so on an intellectual capacity, I mean, I I I shifted my diet. I dropped sugar and carbohydrates um, and went into a, a therapeutic ketogenic diet. Uh, to support my chemotherapy and radiation, and then to try to keep my tumor from growing because tumors usually, brain tumors feed on sugar, so I cut sugars out of my diet as much as I could. Um, I started going to therapy, you know, realizing that there was some stuff that was not processing well. I I did some therapeutic massage, which was really powerful, and just a lot of like work in the gut and realizing like I had been so well trained to figure out how to use this you know brain but actually like the communication with the heart and the gut weren't really well set up and i just intuitively knew i needed to really clear out my gut and diet was part of that and massage and other things um i went to a a teacher healer and i've been going to them since i moved to since before i moved to los angeles i'd say maybe 2007 i've always been interested in alternative practitioners and teachers and healers of different arts and I went to someone who suggested I figure out my perfect day and live that day as much as possible. And when I started, I was back in Los Angeles. You know, I I couldn't drive. I was on seizure watch. I was going to radiation every day. So I started riding my bike and taking public transit, um, being out in public. I'd meditate at the self-realization fellowship next to where I was going, uh, to get my, my therapy every day. And, um I go get a coffee and I just discover these little things that really lit up my day that made my day great and we all have these things that can make a day great and they're not expensive they're not going out to bali or leaving our home they're like within reach right we have the tools whether it's a bicycle or just taking a walk outside or going outside in the sun outside your home or, um, having a coffee and slowly reading the paper, right? There are all these little rituals we can do that can turn into a combination of rituals that become a perfect day. And so that perfect day exercise that I was challenged to figure out became really my mantra and my lifestyle. And I learned that even within these kind of challenging moments of engaging in therapy and radiation, I was getting to know other people in the radiation room and connecting with my doctors and making it perfect for me on my terms, even though it was a dismal situation in a lot of ways. Um, You know, I took some THC because that was helping me with my chemotherapy and dizziness. And that was a fun experiment. And it kind of treated a lot of this stuff kind of like okay, this is a new experience, is a new experiment. Let's see how it goes and let's see how we can make it enjoyable and maybe even pleasurable. Slowing down, allowing myself to be sensitive, taking naps. I mean, so many things, just appreciating nature, uh, which we all have access to in some way. And then over time, that perfect day evolved. And um, I, I actually had kind of like a lead up moment where I was visualizing this car I wanted to buy and paint and um, I ended up doing it. I bought a an old Honda sports car. I painted it with five different colors in a crazy, wild way. My buddy Daniel, he's a photographer, popped in the passenger seat with me and we drove from LA to Cabo um, and celebrated New Year's Eve in Cabo and crashed a friend's wedding down there, and then drove back. And so took photos the whole way, had this incredible experience like nine days of, crazy driving through Mexico in a tiny Honda sports car that wasn't designed for Baja at all, like hitting like animals and not, we didn't hit any animals, but almost hitting animals, hitting a lot of potholes, changing tires, the whole deal. It was wild. Um, But we had an incredible time. And then we came back and there was, the next vision was like, let's have a show and let's show our photos from this trip. And that turned into an incredible success and sold out. And then I basically fell over backwards into being a visual artist. And I was, asked to paint murals and other cars and Soho house here in los angeles asked me to paint their textiles and so this evolution and kind of falling into becoming a a visual artist happened through chasing that perfect day and now i look back and i realize i was actually a quantum leap which is something that people talk about a lot where you can kind of reorient your life so that things can happen in a really quick time frame that pretty much all happened between you know the end of 2017, and the middle of 2018. Um, And I became a visual professional visual artist being paid for my work across the country within a matter of six months because I was following this internal compass and understanding what really lit me up and other people, that's infectious. People wanna be a part of that. People wanna smile at the car. They wanna buy the art. They wanna be a part of what's making your day perfect. And sometimes that rubs off.
0: Yeah, I mean, just hearing that is is contagious. And mm-hmm. I, I I really like hearing how the, the perfect day, so sometimes people have so much pressure, right? Well, what's your perfect day? And it's like, they just want to get it right, right? But you're, it, what sounds like what you're saying is your, your perfect day starts with really simple ritual. Like you, like you said, you don't need to go to Bali. Your, your perfect day might be walking outside and getting your feet in the dirt. Mm-hmm. You know, followed by a cup of coffee, or like making eye contact with a stranger and saying "I love you" with your eyes, you know. And and little by little, the perfect day grows and grows and grows and grows. And next thing you know, no animals were harmed in your trip to Cabo. <laughs> you know, and here you are, like six months later, and all and it's like whoa, 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 yeah. And mm, I, 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 wow awesome also if you're listening your six months will come when it comes right it might be two years it might be six years no pressure there we're all these unique um, expressions of love and we evolve in in how we evolve so so for anyone who's thinking like already starting their yeah, go, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, totally. And just to piggyback on that, I mean, like that was an incredible moment. I'd say, you know, now six months, then turned in like now it's three year and a half years later, three years later, and it slowed down. You know, we're, we're not always moving at that pace. And also, I'd say the perfect day remains the coffee, the quiet meditation outside, the sitting outside and having a drink and watching the sunset at the end of the day, reading the paper on Sundays. Like, Perfect day ingredients can be ingrated, integrated into every day, and that's what makes them perfect. And so this kind of crazy, wild quantum leap story was built out of developing a muscle of understanding what perfection felt like in my body. But we don't always get that hit. And I think just practicing what make, lights us up in any moment helps us become more aware of those bigger leaps that we may want to take it you know when the time is right. Mm-hmm.
0: The, the perfect day... I'm, I'm curious if we can go there, um, the perfect death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, have, I have a feeling that you've probably thought about this.
2: Yeah, well, to be honest with you, I'm thinking about it a lot. And I also am thinking about it in the context of a wedding that I'm planning with my fiance, right? Because to me, you know, we have these only a few major occasions in our lives when we really get to celebrate love. And um, that's not my intention. I want to celebrate love every day, but there are these you know, specific milestones that occur. And I think um, like the perfect wedding where I'm surrounded by friends and family who I love and who love me, I think death is something I would love to experience in some form of community. It's just the type of person I am. I feel so lit up by being around loved ones and, and being able to engage with everyone and share collectively celebration, um, even if it's an end, um, and to honor the emotionality of that and to find nuanced ways of celebrating it, whether that be through music or just eye contact or, um, conversation or jokes. I think humor is really important in my life. And, you know, my partner and I are, love laughing with each other. And I think like, even through this diagnosis and everything that's happened, Humor remains and will always remain gallows humor. You know, it's, it's part of the deal. So to me, it's, it's, it's more about feelings than I'd say it is about like a specific framework, but the feelings I want to feel are surrounded by loved ones, um, and and able to celebrate. I'd like to know if something's coming. I'm, I'm at least comfortable. Hopefully it's not after a long period of discomfort, but, um, maybe a short period of discomfort or none, <laughs> you know, that would be perfect. And, and if we can kind of nip it in the bud and say, okay, like you're about to go through hell, so let's let things end here, um, whatever that looks like. I mean, I imagine by the time it's, it's time, um, medically assisted will be appropriate or okay, we'll see. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm not against that. And I think that's a totally like s- strong option when we know, you know, we're close to an end, and we don't need to drag it on, you know, it's like let's let's end this on our terms, not on the terms of a disease or the terms of a hospital. So ideally, not in a hospital and in a comfortable spot.
0: That incredible. Thanks for thanks for sharing. And and I, um, also to, to about the medical assisted. Um, we we actually just left one of uh, our little bonus episodes talking about. Um, would you, if, if it were legal, you know, and it's, it's always an interesting question to hear, hear people's answers to, and it's nice to know yours, um, for sure, and I, I I also really appreciate you saying it's a lot about, like, the feeling, the stuff that you want to be loved with people that you love, you want there to be humor, and, and the, you know, a lot of times when you ask people who haven't had a chance to attend camp death or mm-hmm. contemplate death or or maybe even have like a, a terminal diagnosis come up or a, a scare come up. You ask people how they want to die and, and usually it's suddenly while you're sleeping with no pain, mm-hmm. right? And the, the more that I talk with people around this who again? Who are are in, interested in this work and interested in this conversation? I don't always get the suddenly and in my sleep. You know, mm-hmm. I I think that we have a you know like like you said, Ethan. I don't want it to be very painful for very long, <laughs> <laughs> um, but there there's almost like a. A presence we we can be with death as it happens you know because we only get we only get one and on your terms and if you like you said if at, at a certain point if it becomes like okay it's time the time to tap out it's it's the, the my body's shutting down and i'm in a lot of pain you know we don't know how long that will last um, thanks for sharing that that was that was really incredible to hear
2: Something that came up where you were just speaking um, is kind of the culture of ghosting, no pun intended. Um, But like we live in a world where relationships end via ghosting, you know, it's the easier way to go. We cancel people if we don't want to deal with the conflict. And I actually think like if we think about what love looks like in practice, love is conflict. Love is heartbreak. Love is grief. Love is uh, (laughs) challenging. Right. And yeah, I want to be with the people I love when I die. And maybe it's not going to be all laughter. Maybe there's going to be a lot of tears. And that's beautiful too. And the conflict of that and celebrating or honoring the grief of the moment together and being able to be part of it, to me is is real life and confronting like one of the rare opportunities to live with depth that we get. And um, that avoidance of that depth is the same thing as numbing out to whatever else you want to numb out to, I think. So like, we all have it. That's not, I'm not knocking it. We all got to numb out, but, uh, the more we can kind of drop those numbing agents and come into, especially when it comes to love, I think the more we, we live a meaningful deep life and, um, yeah, that that's my thesis. Yeah. Thanks for, um, taking a
1: couple of feet off the the stock of the, the Disney look at what life uh, love is, you know, of like, you know, I think I felt like you really cut that down a little bit of of like, love isn't just all kittens and rainbows and laughter. And it is a lot about like, how do you wrestle together? My partner says love is metal. Totally (laughs) love is metal for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, along with the adaptation of, of death as being normal, I, I would love for societies to start adopting that love is metal, too. It's not just, it's not kittens and rainbows all the time.
0: Are, are we talking both heavy metal and heavy metals? because I can get behind both of those.
2: (laughs) Sure. Yeah. I I think of heavy metal for sure, but both, yes, heavy metals as well. Yeah. (laughs) And that's the whole reason why it's love extremists, you know, like this isn't a joke, you know, and I, I think a lot of people roll their eyes when they hear love because of the Disneyfication of it all. And, you know, I'm talking about love in politics. I'm talking about love at work. I'm talking about love in activism, which is very, actually very present, but you know I think there's a lot of spaces where we love an education, you know and and even the it's interesting the people we're most proximate to sometimes are the hardest ones to love, and what's with that, right? Why are we so avoidant and and I think it comes back to this kind of fear of conflict, fear of being honest, and that's really where the meat of life is, yeah that actually that hits right on
1: this question that i was dying to ask was, you know i recently was having a conversation with a friend who found out that her her uh, grandfather is is slipping quickly to the other side and i i kind of you know I, I, we were talking about how we engage with our elders and our and our parents and one thing that that came up for me in that moment was was that you know what i want to hold my parents' hands before they're dying. It's something that like, I, I don't really do. You know, I don't sit next to my mom and hold her hand. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't spend like that kind of loving intimacy, that intimate time with my parents. And, 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 you know, I'm, I'm curious with you, you're, you're at your parents' house now. Yeah. What, how has this, this experience, this journey changed your relationship with your parents if it has? And, and if, if you want that to change even further, I'd
2: love to hear that too. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's very much still in uh, evolution. Um, It's been interesting and important kind of witnessing them, but also noticing, you know, they're not as um, open emotionally with me about how they're feeling around my diagnosis. Um, and also, I think um, I think about their mortality a bit and notice it, you know, as they get older more. Um, but that's an area of inquiry that I, I want to continue to work on. And I think getting through and being able to communicate across conflict is a big part of that. And our family, just where we're from and the way that we engage is not the way that I engage with a lot of other people in my life. And so I'm, I'm, I'm working to lubricate those relationships and, and, and get closer and, and, and get that comfort level and maintain it and strengthen it. Um, but I'd say, yeah, I mean, I have a very loving, incredible family and there's always feels like space for us to deepen our connection and our love and our appreciation for each other while we have each other. Um, and I think sometimes we get caught up in, you know, forgetting about that pretty quickly.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have to mention that this podcast has a great way to, to bring up little sound bites in the back. And as we talk about, um, the, 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 the parental relationship and, you know, the, the sirens in the background are fucking blazing. <laughs> um, let also, I'll take a moment and, and just like send some, wishes out to whoever is uh, those either fire trucks or ambulances are going to that that they're all safe um and not just safe like a moment where we can send like prayers to all of the people in the ambulance the the fire truck and their families to have this rippled out um effect of 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 love and 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 beauty so they're doing great work there and ethan you're doing great work um i i'm, you. I'm I want to stay on and talk, um, but you know, we do have somewhat of time limits on these things Um, really appreciate the work that you're doing. You're, you're speaking my language as soon as like anything with love comes up and then death follows like Mm -hmm. sign me up. So where, where can people sign up or check out what you have um, going on in the future?
2: Yeah, I'd love for you to join me at extremist.love and that's a website where you can sign up and get our newsletter and I'll keep you abreast of everything happening the next iteration of camp. I'm giving a talk about self-love and what it actually means um, and that'll be including some of the practices we talked about in a little bit more on the 31st of August on my birthday Um, and it's on the platform Bright, which is a cool new video platform that's kind of like a clubhouse meets video. Um, and so check out bright and we'd love to see you there. Uh, it's, you know, cheap ticket. It's going to be really cool. And you can come up and ask questions and engage with me there. Um, and then clubhouse is a place where I do spend a bit of time and I host a lot of conversations in the love extremist club. That's grown a lot through the pandemic as this kind of virtual outlet for gathering and salon. And sometimes I record my podcast there as well. Um, and that's just the love extremist club on clubhouse. So those are the three sweet spots to find me these days. And uh, I'd love to hear from folks in your audience and, and you you too as well. It's definitely a conversation that we could have for a long time.
1: Right on. Awesome. Well, Ethan, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time sharing your stories. I hope you get to hold your parents' hands while you're there. <laughs> Selfishly project that <laughs> desire on thank you. Thank you. And uh Yeah. Yeah, I thank you from the bottom of my heart, and um, I guess that that wraps us up this time around.
0: Again, just thanks for your time, Ethan. Really, um, your 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 story is incredible. Your presence is incredible. Um, You 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 definitely have uh, you 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 are are like like I said, speaking our language, and uh, I can't wait to see how your offerings grow and. I'd love to be involved in some way, and I think Tom—I speak for Tom—and any way that we can support you, or be part of it, or um, promote whatever you know, please. So, folks, please check out Ethan's um, websites, his podcast, his Clubhouse, his what is that one? Bright Bright House. I don't even know about this. Just I'm bright,
2: just bright. bright, yeah. Just check yeah. out Bright.
0: You check can- out Bright
2: yeah you can find it on google but it's like bright.co or something and it's a really cool new platform for video streaming and stuff
0: cool awesome thanks everyone
2: all right see you next time thank you guys